Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Is Alarm.com too powerful now that they've acquired eye control? Voice control in the professional installer market? What to expect at this year's CD Expo? Plus conversations about spike ball injuries. All in this week's Smart Home Show with Joey Jacobson. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, this is Mike. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. Today's guest is Julie Jacobson, who I've known for going on 20 years now. When I think back to the, the late 90s when I first started covering the Connected Home, one of the first people I started reading regularly and talking to regularly was Julie Jacobson. I was working as an analyst for a company called Instat. She was writing for Electronic House and CE Pro, and she's writing this newsletter called Home Networking News. And so it was it was perfect match uh, we we swapped stories. We talked about different things, and we've been meeting at conferences ever since. So she's great, and I was really happy to have her on the podcast. I told her she needs to start her own. She's a natural. Hopefully, she will someday. But for now, you got her here on the Smart Home Show. I hope you enjoy it. You can find Julie's writings at cepro.com. And if you don't already do that, you should, you must go. She's a must read if you follow this industry. Before we get to Julie. Bef- before we get to Julie, I just want to mention another podcast I just completed for the Next Market Podcast. If you haven't listened to that, it's more of a general technology show. The last one I, I talked to Mark Cuban uh, about a month ago. This recent podcast, which we published this week, I talked to Adi Hangla, which was one of the original creators of Skype. And he's gone on to actually start a new company that's building robotics, robotic delivery, particularly sidewalk robotic delivery. Uh, I got interested in what they're doing because I had – I've been following them as I'm looking at the the new models for delivering things like groceries to the home for my work over at the Smart Kitchen Summit and the Smart Kitchen Show. And so you might want to check that out. Just go to technology.fm and look for the, the Next Market Podcast or just look for the Next Market Podcast in iTunes. You can find it there. It's a good one if you're interested at all in robotics and how a guy has gone from changing the world with telecommunications to now robotics. Uh, this is a pretty good conversation. And now let's talk to Julie. And Julie, uh, have you had any spike ball injuries yet? I have had no spike ball injuries. I, you know, as, as your listeners probably already know, I uh, hung up my cleats from Ultimate Frisbee about 17, 18 years ago. So I was, you know, looking for another sport in my old age and the spike ball thing looked really cool. You turned me on to it and I assumed I would rock it because that's just how I'm built and I played it once and I was not any good and it was very sad. Now, did you play with people who were equally bad? Was it just a bunch of people playing poorly? It was uh, me and my partner playing poorly. (laughs) (laughs) So people who don't know, and this is not a, we're not talking about smart home yet. We will get to smart home topics. uh, And I want to catch up with Julie about all what's going on in the world, what she's, what she's writing about. Uh, I turned you on to, to spike ball because you were looking to a new pro, new new backyard sport. Uh, it's the concept of spike ball is you stand around a net. And it's kind of it's almost like volleyball volleyball rules, but it's a little net in the middle and you just bounce a ball off it. So yeah, the, well, you make it sound so easy. So yeah, it's not easy. Pathetic at it. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm I'm kind of pathetic at it too. But I play with my son, and he's 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 younger and more nimble than me, so I, I feel old playing it as well. 
All right. Well, let's hope my mind is more nimble than my body is today. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pretty much – I'm pretty sure that a lot of people who listen to this or most people that listen to this podcast probably also read you over at CE Pro. We've known each other going back forever, like the 90s. You were writing like this – you're writing like a smart home industry newsletter for a while in addition to the stuff you're doing at Electro, Electronic House and CE Pro. Uh, and I think that's when I first connected with you. Yeah, we um, we founded EH Publishing in 1994. So I've been doing this for a very long time. And at that time, we had a pretty hard-hitting industry newsletter um, called the uh, Electronic House Intelligence Report. And that kind of defa- faded away after a while. But now we have CE Pro Magazine, which uh, ostensibly is... Well, it's the leading trade magazine for people that install home technologies. But yeah. we also try to cover the bigger picture of the home technology, smart home industry, yeah. and anything that touches. You're, you're the basically an industry legend. Right? I mean, you've basically, actually you've won basically. awards from CD. Like, didn't you win an award at the last CEDIA? Like, <laughs> and I don't know if it's one of these like, hey, let's give her an award before she dies thing. I don't think you're supposed to die. <laughs> it's like, no, this one was actually kind of a kind of a big deal. It was. It was, it was a big deal. Yeah, uh, but Tech Home Leadership Award or something like that. And even though I have no leadership skills, I have been doing this for 22 years. So yeah. I guess it was my turn. Yeah, and it's I said this about uh, like Nate Williams. Like if you don't know Nate, you're not an IoT. You are if, not. If you, you don't know not. Julie, you're probably not in. You're certainly not in the professional installer <laughs> channel, and you're probably not in smart home. So you're you're a living legend. So I'm super glad we got to catch up. <laughs> it's what, always good to catch up. with What you. was that? It was the home networking. You remember you had a home network. Oh, home news networking on? news. Yeah, 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 yeah. That. That was a thing. Yeah. Like at the time, we were both writing about home networking. I was coming at it from a, like, you know, the, you had these guys like uh, AMD and the chips guys putting out phone right? line networking yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you were coming at it more from the professional installer channel, but also yep. writing about the consumer stuff. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had like the Tr- Trisha Parks over there yep. doing whatever she does. I'm not sure what she does, uh, but uh, yeah. So that it's been, and so we've probably you've probably been to more CESs than I have, or we're probably close. Um, we, I have been to 23. Okay. Did you start in Chicago? Did you go back in Chicago? No. Okay. Did I? I don't know if you knew this. This is this is just going to be us rec- talking about the past. This whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who have just turned in, tuned in. Mike is walking down memory. You, Mike is walking me, down memory lane with Julie. That's what this let me, podcast. Let is. me talk about how well I attended Sunday school. <laughs> well, let's talk about some industry stuff. And I think you know you had a post uh, about alarm.com and and who will be the next eye control. Um, that certainly, I think, is one of the biggest pieces of news to transpire uh, in our space for a long time. I mean, I've, I've been kind of watching and, and expecting these platform guys to come together for, and maybe some consolidation to happen for a while. The the eye control story has been brewing and percolating for a while. I think even before Stacy wrote that piece, we all kind of knew that eye control was in play. Um, it, it was it was just a matter of who was going to be and. Uh, so it wasn't surprising, but I'm kind of curious what you think the implications are for the industry going forward. Well, the situation is this. Uh, Alarm.com is was pretty much the first and is the only smart home as a service provider, as I call it, Shaz provider, um, targeting independent dealers. So the independent security dealers, independent 
home automation dealers, um, the, guy, the guys that are doing five jobs a year to 1,000 and 10,000 jobs a year. Um, they have the platform for that. iControl provides very similar services, the same type of platform, but they've always gone after the bigger players. Specifically, ADT was their first account, and then they moved on to the uh, cable industry, Comcast yep. and Time Warner Cable and all the others. So, And they had, at the t- same time, started to launch a dealer program to hit up these independents because it's a, it's a scary situation to be where I control was, where basically they had six customers, very large customers. And that was I control one, right? Um, yes. So the dealer program was, is, was I control one. So if the acquisition goes through with alarm.com acquiring, um, all the dealer side of the business, and right now the only dealer side of the business they really have is ADT, which is substantial, of course. Um, and Comcast is acquiring the cable side of the business, then Alarm.com is uh, going to create, I don't like to use the term monopoly because that could be construed as a legal term, but basically they will have the only platform out there for independent uh, home technology and security dealers. You wonder, I mean, the big question for them, if I'm buying the eye control business mm-hmm. is the status of the ADT relationship because I, I know I've, it seems like ADT could be one of these companies that says, hey, looks around. Maybe we should just build our own. We know that they've had some sort of relationship with Zonoff, which mm-hmm. I, I think that's why eye control brought the lawsuit uh, against Zonoff because they, they knew they were talking to – they're making trips down to Florida Correct. to talk to ADT. Correct. So th- that's interesting to speculate. What happens to that ADT relationship – for the, the old eye control business on the dealer side? Well, that's the million-dollar question. And I wonder if, I, I, I mean, that will have had a big play in the valuation of eye control. And some would argue that um, Alarm's acquisition of that portion, what was that, $140 million? Um, People were wondering if that was... Uh, a large undervaluation of eye control, but we don't know how much Comcast paid for the other part of the business. But the big question is ADT, and they have said most definitely that they're interested in moving on to uh, their own hardware platforms, their own software platforms. Uh, we know they had been talking to Zonoff, um, but it looks like for now that relationship remains intact. But the other million-dollar question is, um, right now they have a shared patent portfolio, and the people in the business that I know uh, that I and, and trust say uh, between their two uh, patent portfolios, it's uh, pretty strong stuff in terms of uh, smart home as a service platform. So... Um, Alarm.com would have uh, a huge chunk of that intellectual property, which might raise some eyebrows. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, if you can't beat them, buy them, really, because that was the lawsuit. I mean, they were in court, Alarm.com and iControl were in court over those patents in particular. iControl emerged the victor. And then well, I could. Not necessarily. And I had written that at one point. And I, I might have been, been a little bit off on that. It, you know, 
effectively they shared all patents. And, um, but regardless, when I, if I control gets those patents, obviously there has to be some sort of sharing with the ADT and with, uh, with Comcast, but, um, that's, that's pretty severe. You're, you're going to be very hard pressed to find a competitor that could come in and, um, match their services. And just the, the patent portfolio, and I don't know, I don't not I don't have it in front of me in all the language, but just the remote and cloud-based management of a of a home using IoT and smart home technology. If that those patents cover a large that in, in large breadth, that's a big deal. And you know they could at some point have you know claims with guys like Google and all these guys that are trying to get into remote management of, of homes using using the using smart home technology. Well, I don't, I don't want to overstep my. Right, right, right. We're, we're all kind of speculating at this point. Right? But um, they have uh, a lot of patents on integrating the professional security monitoring with the lifestyle based home automation yep. um, feature set. And we know that that's a huge trend now of uh, even do it yourself providers uh, merging professional uh, monitoring with do do it yourself monitoring. So um all I can tell you is that the people I've been talking to over the past decade have said that they're between the two of them their patent portfolio makes it really tricky for others to participate in that space. Let's move on to talk about this kind of weird Soho Sonos uh experiential retail uh that you guys actually did a piece on um I think it was it was Chelsea that yep. wrote it. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of interesting. I mean, I was just in Soho for the, the, the perch to, to, to go to perch, oh, which is another right. kind of interesting place. Yeah, I forgot about um, that. But what are your thoughts on this place? Well, Sonos has never really had a retail store. They've had a couple places in Southern California that were sort of uh, promotional spaces. So this is really their first retail outlet. Um, and they, instead of stacking a bunch of Sonos products on a shelf, they have this Tony space in uh, Soho in New York City that has seven listening rooms, each uh, resembling a, a living space in the home, the home office, the kitchen, the living room, any place that you would listen to music. And there are soundproof rooms. I mean, they provide a really good listening experience. And... You know, the, the point of it is not necessarily to sell stuff right there, but to give people the experience. And, um, you know, it's their first effort at it. We'll, I guess we'll have to see. You know, I get, Sonos does incredibly well in the professional installation channel. Um, I yep. believe still that's their biggest, uh, market their biggest uh, vehicle for business is, is those who sell and install the independent in- integrators who sell and install these products. So there's been a lot of question marks from that community. I, I've, you know, I've heard grumbling ever since Sonos came out and hit up the custom installation channel about them uh, being too DIY and not caring about the custom installers, but the custom installers uh, are very, very successful with it. But I did get some emails um, wondering what that meant for th- what the Sonos store meant for this their business, if they were actually going to refer customers to independent dealers, how that was going to work, 
And, you know, it's, it's a little tricky for, for the integration community because once they set up their customers with Sonos, then, um, their customers are bombarded from Sonos about, uh, you know, new products and buy more speakers and all this. And the, the dealer can be, the original dealer can be left out of the loop. Um, so I'm actually chatting with those guys to see if there's any plans to try to somehow get those original dealers into that uh, repurchase loop. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by the Sonos success in the in the dealer installer channel. I mean, you know, Seth and the guys, those guys at Home Tech FM, they do tons of Sonos installs, yep. and mm-hmm. it, it just it makes so much sense because it really has been the premium wireless audio experience over the past decade. But it is so easy to install. Um, so it, it, I could see how you could disintermediate the installer fairly easily, um, at least from like a, cause that, that's really kind of Sonos has a very good, uh, you know, online re- and, and kind of presence that consumers can access fairly yes, easily. So yeah. it's unlike you may, if you go to someone like Savant's website, they may not right. have as much, even though that might be changing. We could talk about that, <laughs> but, but it's just been a fascinating thing to watch. Well, it's especially fascinating because they're, they, through really until today, they have not invited integration with their with their system. Um, for a while, they were aggressively anti-integration. They wanted to keep Sonos in its own ecosystem. They wanted to control the user experience. And uh, integrators kicked and screamed, we'll never use you. You hate integrators. You can't, you know, you're in your own little ecosystem. But... You know, interestingly enough, that philosophy has led to more sales because controlling that ecosystem has meant uh, very few flaws in the system. It means happy customers all the time. It means a low level of service and support after the sale. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, I agree with their longstanding, uh, principle of keeping a close in infrastructure. They've done pretty well for themselves. Yeah, we'll see that change. It has changed. I mean, people do integrate. And I think we will see at Cedia Expo in September, I think we'll see Sonos actually uh, formally open up the platform to certain players. But it's it's served them well. And, you know, and integrators still kick and scream, and yet they sell a ton of this stuff and they never get callbacks. Do you think that move that you're expecting in September was a result of the kind of their well-publicized struggles. The fact that they're changing their behavior is a result of the fact that, you know, they basically came out and said, Hey, you know, we made, you know, this hasn't been our best year. We have to make some changes. No, I, you know, I don't have any specific insights. I think it's just a gradual thing. I, I, uh, this has been a trajectory. I, I, I think it's a natural progression and everyone already integrates with Sonos. So why not make it a, uh, uh, why, why not bless it by Sonos and have it done right? And I think we're just to a point now where everyone is doing it. So Sonos better, uh, step in and make sure that, that the integration is done right. Um, and, and they're, you know, they've got a huge loyal fan base of professional installers. So why not? You know, I wanted to ask you about, uh, impromptuly ask you about uh, Alexa and Amazon Echo. I mean, I think one of the things about what was interesting this year was Sonos came out, McFarlane came out and said, you know, they didn't adjust quickly enough to that. Um, I'm curious of what you're seeing around voice control, maybe Echo, Amazon Echo and Alexa in particular 
in the professional install channel. Um, you have the kind of ridiculously expensive stuff like the Josh AI, um, which reminds me a little bit like a Clydescape type of, <laughs> of approach, you know? Well, um, kind of not even. I I mean, col- yeah. Clydescape makes sense because people are going to spend <laughs> that money. They're going to spend that money on AV, right? AV servers. Um, but for a, a for a voice control server, when you have yeah. like re- pretty good experience with with Alexa, seems pretty premium priced. I I, I got to say, I, I wrote a a story about them. I think they've shifted gears a little bit, but I didn't. I really didn't get their uh, value proposition. Oh, so you think it's the, a ten thousand? Basically, it's a ten thousand dollar voice accessory to. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Um, it's a ten thousand dollar voice accessory when Alexa works pretty well and is integrated with everything. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a little shift in direction compared to what they uh, thought they might want to do in the market. So I think we'll see that. But uh, Amazon Echo, uh, they are very specifically interested in this particular channel. It was just announced that uh, Charlie Kindle over there, who kind of runs uh, a piece of that program, is going to be keynoting the Cedia Expo. And Cedia is the big trade show for home technology integrators. Um but they are uh, very engaged with the uh, custom community and in particular the home automation guys to um, get their voice recognition platform embedded around. So I, I at this point, don't know the specifics of what they'll be doing, but I can imagine we're going to see some tightly integrated uh, solutions at Cedia. Well, you know, you could just skip CD and come up to my Smart Kitchen Summit to see Charlie speak because he's speaking at that event. Then that's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> I heard, by the way, I heard wonderful things about your first Kitchen Summit. Are we going to so. get – are you going to come? Uh, I, I'll work on you. You don't have to answer. This is a lot of pressure. I'm going to work on Julie. I, th- I know folks who listen to this podcast would love to see Julie there. So uh. I would. If, if enough of your fans write me and say, hey, what come, if, come, come. What if we had, what if we had a spike ball tournament? If, uh, I would consider that. I wouldn't would um, want you to get injured at my event, though. That's what I'm worried about. It's not an event if I'm not injured. <laughs> Do you have you ever had the conference or, or the uh, event injury? I know at CES I get sometimes the foot problems just because you're walking t- 30 miles a day. But uh, um, I'm I'm 51 years old. I hurt. Uh, all the time. All the I mean, time. I, I, I can't tell what's a trade show injury and what's just what's old just, age. Just old age, yeah. Now, back to Amazon, it's it's funny because there are still uh, a huge chunk of pros and consumers alike who have never heard of, it, of, of Echo, much less used it. And you will find that when in, in a conference, I, I, I was just uh, moderating a, a conference in London a couple weeks ago. Um, the people that say Alexa, that voice, the people that say that voice control is stupid, it'll never happen. Um, my, my question is always, do you have Amazon Echo? And the ones that don't believe in voice control have never tried Amazon Echo. And I can't stress enough that once it's in your house, it will change the way you think about voice control. Yeah, I'm always surprised that people who dismiss something without trying what is probably the best or at least the leading one at the moment. I, I, and I can see how a lot of people, um, you know, use Siri and thought that it was maybe subpar. I mean, Siri was a great technology when it mm-hmm. first came out five years ago, mm-hmm. 
but mm-hmm. it, you know, I think it aged, it didn't age necessarily well. And I think Apple would probably even admit they, they had a little bit of atrophy there. I think they're reinvesting in that, but, um, I, I certainly think for the home, Alexa was tailored for that experience. And so it was, and they, the use cases were so much more compelling. Um, if you can just, you know, uh, we barely use it. We use it to set timers and to listen to NPR. And, uh, you know, it's making me listen to news. You are old. Listen, you're using it to listen to NPR. I know. I know. And when I do listen to music, it's music of the 60s. Um, and I'm not even that old. But the, Alexa, but the Alexa skills, I think part of the reason they've done so well is they created a more open development environment. I think the Alexa skills, they're at 1,000 or 2,000 now. It keeps going up. But uh, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, but to be able to just start with it and use it for a couple yep. of use cases that yep. are that work for you. I mean, it might be the shopping list, it might be Alexa, uh, play NPR, which is what we do, and uh, you know, hands free from the kitchen, add something to the shopping list. I mean, all it takes is one or two uses, and it changes the way you. Behave. I mean, you want to say, Alexa, turn on the TV, even though it's not connected. Let's move on to talk about some other things, because you've written a lot of good stuff lately, and I just want to kind of catch it while I have you here. Um, you've written a little bit about the, the new Savant DIY remote. Um, that is an interesting story, I think. What are your thoughts on that? It is an interesting story. Savant came into the market as a very, very high-end home automation system. Um. I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And they've been changing and changing and changing. They hired as CEO William Lynch a couple years ago who came from, uh, Nook or Kindle. I get them confused. The, I think you, I think you did run, uh, I think you no. ran, uh, the, the Barnes and Noble ebook business. Yeah. He did that. Um, and they got some backing from KKR, which uh, owns a chunk of Sonos. And since then, they've brought their price points down. Their user experience has improved massively. And it's always been a professionally installed system and brand. And they just uh, announced a do-it-yourself product last year. And it just but they've always been they've always been the one. And I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But they've been the one. If, if anyone's been pointing to one of the high-end professional install systems that they thought would come to the into the DIY channel. They've been like the poster child for that because I think they just had a – they've had such a great experience. Um, they were kind of like, in a sense, like the Apple of like the – at least from an experience standpoint. Um, well, so- they, they weren't before. A couple of years ago, you know, the crazy thing about the, the custom home automation business is that our our – Home automation systems have been uh, just terrible experiences for the users because they can't create their own schedules. They can't create their own scenes. Uh, you have to call your integrator, do everything. And uh, Savant really was the first one to come out with a platform that empowered the end user. And they were able to create scenes and schedules and uh, text alerts and to some degree their their own user interfaces, um, which now, is hu- which is huge, right? I mean, because the industry silly. the industry yeah. is like endangering itself by not doing that. So it's it, it's it, it's a dark dark history. It's a pock on the <laughs> on the custom home automation uh, market, which for twenty years has 
uh, really locked out the end user, not necessarily deliberately, just because it wasn't a thing. Um, and so, you know, the others followed, or, you know, the, the others uh, didn't even necessarily follow Savant, but the timing was right, and they all came out with uh, platforms and, and software that, that also empowered the end user to do more um, on their own. Uh, but Savant uh, r- really did shake that up and came out with... and. Uh, so they came out with a remote control product that would be sold direct to consumers, would have very, very limited home automation capabilities. Um, but I don't, well, so you can buy it on bestbuy.com. Um, it's also, they're doing a trial run with Enjoy, uh, which I totally don't understand that business model at all. Um, they're in, three locations there. Uh, but, you know, I, I spoke with uh, the CEO a few days ago about, and we've had conversations about their, their DIY play, and rest assured, they have no illusions that this thing is going to fly off the shelf, the DIY product. Um, they want it as a tool for consumers to get engaged with the platform and want to do more. They just don't make a whole lot of money that they won't, and they admit they're not going to make a ton of money on um, the product as a do-it-yourself product. They, uh, you know, for for their existing integrators that want to reach a different, you know, a broader market, this helps get their foot in the door. Um, and there, there was not an upgrade path in the past, but now there is an upgrade path if you start with the DIY product to do a a, a larger type of a, a Savant program, but they know the money is in the custom installation with the more stuff they sell um, that's better supported by a professional channel. So um, they are not looking to be a DIY com- company. What about existing Savant customers that can go and add this at retail? Do, do they see that as like, do you think they're going to get a lot of business? Do they think they're going to get a lot of business that way for this product in particular? Dealers or retailers or independent dealers or retailers? No, existing Savant users who've had a okay. system in their home and they see that this is at retail. Do they expect a lot of those customers to go and buy this? Well, that's very interesting. Um, I doubt it because you can't take, you, you can't go buy one of the, the $400 DIY uh, packages and just incorporate it into your system your existing system, but that's a really good question. And it's one I've posed to Lutron again and again and again. Um, for, for, for people that have existing Lutron, uh, lighting control systems, which are, are really expensive. I mean, you're looking at dimmers that are 200 bucks a pop and they go into Home Depot and they see this other Lutron, Lutron Cassetta, where dimmers are, I don't know, 50, 60 bucks and, um, they have the same logos on them. They all say Clear Connect. So they see these light switches and they go to their dealer and say, why are you charging me $200 for a light switch when I see the same light switch at Home Depot for 60 bucks?" Oh, well, it's not exactly the same thing. It doesn't work with your system. Well, yeah, it has the same verbiage on it. So it, 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 that's a, it, <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> it's a big issue. It is. It's interesting. Hey, this, the last thing I want to talk to you about uh, and you're, 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 I think you're writing on about this. I think this is something you picked up on 
as a, a thing that's happening is just the the growing presence of what companies that started as DIY companies showing right. up at, at Cedia right. Expo. So, right. you know, Eero or Ring. Um, we talked about Sonos. Obviously, that's a little bit of a more evolved story, but that seems like you were just going to see a lot of these guys. They see the installer channel as a, a good business. Well, they do. Um, and this trend has been happening for about uh, – two years now. So this will be about the third year. So we saw DIY companies start showing up a couple years ago. You know, companies like Revolve. Yeah. Um, Rest in peace. You know, it, 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 in some cases it becomes the trade show or the channel of last resort when all these companies that thought they had great DIY products realize maybe it's not such a DIY product <laughs> and we ought to try the professional channel. Um, I'm here to tell you the, the professional channel should not be a last resort. Um, you should grow a DIY business as you're growing your, your custom business as well. So that's my little pitch. But, um, yeah, so Sonos is there. Nest has been there for a while. Uh, the Cedia channel represents a, quite a large, uh, audience, uh, installer base for Nest. Um, we see a couple of light bulb manufacturers, Illumi and LifeX, LifeX. Um, I, I haven't seen a good uh, story around smart bulbs in our channel. I can think, I can finally, after all these years, think of a good value uh, proposition for custom installers, but I haven't had a good sto- heard of a good story around that. We'll also see Nortec there, which makes two gig. Um, they've got a bulb. Insteon has a bulb. Uh, Lutron has a bulb. URC has a bulb. What about uh, the doorbell guys? Ring's going to be there. They're um, all going to be there. Skybell, for, Skybell, and no, Skybell not Factory. Skybell. They're all on the exhibitor list as of now, except for Skybell. Is Vivint uh, going there? Vivint is not there. August. Um, August is there. Okay. Believe it or not, I have ask me anyone on the CD exhibitor list. I will tell you because I've been through it many times. Do you do so? Those of you who haven't seen Julie's. Amazing CES pre-reports. You actually do webinars as well. Like you always do a great job telling us what's going to be at CES. I always love reading it. Thank and, you. And people who don't get that should keep an eye out. You should put those out in December, um, I believe. Right. I do. I do a, a, a webcast as well as you know a hundred and ten page document. It's crazy. It's, you do a great job. Do you do that for CD as well? Um, I think I have done it in one or two years past. I think we have one scheduled pre-Cedia. It won't be as in-depth. Here's all the home automation companies. Here's exactly what they're showing. Um, but I, 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 I do have that information in my head. Um, but like I said, Amazon will be there. Eero will make an appearance there for the first time. Um, uh, professional enterprise-grade networking has been a humongous trend among home technology installers for the past five Wi-Fi, years. Wi-Fi is just, for me, one of the big stories of the year, how it's become it interesting is. again. So it makes it's sense that Eero is going to be there. Uh, I don't know. If, are the SecureFi guys going to be there? They're interesting. Uh, they are not there. Um, but there are a lot of guys. There's just And there's more stuff coming out. With Wi-Fi, yeah. that's interesting, I think, to keep yeah. it for. Yeah, so. Eero is, is the big one. And so in our industry, you've got Luxel and PackEdge and Access Networks and SnapAV. And I'm forgetting people in there. I'm going to get in big trouble. But uh, <laughs> you know, these uh, companies that make, uh, you know, you're spending $2,000 on a networking infrastructure and, you know, 
$3,000 on a home automation system. I mean, that's how important the network infrastructure is. So it'll be interesting to see if Eero can, um, oh, I know, Ruckus and uh, Ubiquity will be there as well. Those guys have been around forever. Man. Well, this has been great. Julie, I think if when we go back and look at the oral history of home automation, this is going in the canon. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Mark Maron's podcast. And like I feel like he's compiling like the oral history of like comedy for the last half century. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to do that a little bit for home automation. And you're a big chapper. So thanks for well, being half on the show. Well, half of which is in fact comedy. It is. Uh, and from but, comedy, from sadness, from comedy comes sadness, or sadness comes comedy. So, and there's a lot of there's sad. some sadness in the in some of the home automation side, but it's the, a- it's, it's paved with sadness. <laughs> um, no, I uh, I I follow your work obviously, um, and I'm a huge fan of yours. And any uh, any fan of yours, I hope will check out some of our stuff as well. I'm easy to find on Twitter, uh, Julie Jacobson with an S O N and uh I'd and, I'd certainly love to hear from any of your readers and listeners. Yeah, and CEPro.com is where you you're writing yes. all your stuff. So. Yes, sir. All right, thanks Julie. Thanks so much for having me. Well that was a ton of fun. I'm glad Julie came on. I'm glad we caught up. Like I said, I encourage you to go read her stuff. Check her out at CEPro.com. You can find her on Twitter at Julie Jacobson. She's a go to resource in this industry, so check her out. All right folks, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another Smart Home Show.